Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Fans of football history may find the name of Ernie Nevers to be a familiar one. Maybe not a household word in 2021, but certainly one that ripples with respect with the knowledge that Nevers was one of the all-time greats in the National Football League. And yet, his entrance into the world of pro football back in 1926 is a bit obscure and perhaps confusing. Of course, back in 1926, there was no NFL draft. Teams could identify key players of interest and then contact them with promises and hopes of playing time and even a part-time job that might be enough to convince the player to consider joining that particular club. Back in 1925, Ernie Nevers was part of a landmark season in college football while a member of the Stanford University 11. Nevers and the legendary Red Grange of Illinois were members of the first-team All-American backfield in the collegiate ranks. And then Grange broke all preconceived rules of etiquette between the college and pro interests by signing with the Chicago Bears immediately after the final game for the University of Illinois in November of 1925. Previously, it was assumed that pro teams would not sign a college player until his class graduated. Owner coach George Hellis of the Bears interpreted that rule a bit differently and contracted with Grange after he completed his eligibility, not his graduation. Grange and the Bears then embarked on a pair of barnstorming tours that found the team heading east for eight games at the end of 1925, then heading south and west for several more in early 1926. For the first time, pro football was no longer buried in the rear of the nation's sports pages as readers, without the luxury of television or the internet, gobbled up any information about Grange and their local newspapers. Grange was a cover boy of pro football in 1925 and early 1926 as the Bears moved from sparse crowds of less than 5,000 people to over 70,000 in New York and Los Angeles on their tours. Everybody, it seemed, wanted a piece of Red Grange. But where was Nevers at this time? Well, Grange visited the White House, signed numerous endorsements, and even agreed to a motion picture contract, Nevers quietly resumed practice with the Stanford basketball team. As a multi-sport athlete, Nevers had plenty of options following graduation, and most people expected him to pursue his dream of playing Major League Baseball, which he eventually did. However, as Grange continued to entertain legions of fans across the country as the galloping ghost, Nevers professed little interest in leaving school early to join his collegiate colleague on the pro football circuit. Later, Nevers would join the vagabond Duluth Eskimos and then establish his professional stardom with the Chicago Cardinals where, in 1929, in one of our previous episodes, he set an NFL record that still stands by scoring 40 points in one game against the Chicago Bears. But where did this all start? When did Nevers actually play his first professional football game? 
We at the Sports History Network enjoy challenges like this. So we set out to discover the answer to those questions. With so many, so many research capabilities now available, it wasn't difficult to unearth the first pro appearance of Nevers, although it was quite in an unusual circumstance. But the story behind that first game was even more intriguing. When Nevers completed his collegiate gridiron career at Stanford's 26-14 victory over California on November 21, 1925, it would not be unreasonable to assume that football was over for him. Stanford had finished with a 7-2 record, and Nevers was ready to resume his basketball career at Stanford. After that, it would be spring baseball and a likely career opportunity as a pitcher in the major leagues. In the fall, Nevers could take his pick of collegiate football coaching jobs, so the future looked bright for Ernie Nevers. But in mid-December of 1925, rumors and reports drifted out of California that Nevers had been offered a very lucrative contract to play pro football but not with one of the recognized teams in the National Football League. Instead, a group of Florida businessmen were looking to build an all-star team around Nevers and play a series of five games in Florida during the winter. Neither opponents nor teammates were mentioned in the early reports, but this was viewed as an excellent opportunity to cash in on the newly found popularity of pro football thanks to the emergence of Red Grange as a more than popular gate attraction. With Nevers in the lineup, could that same magic be duplicated? The Tampa Tribune newspaper reported that Nevers had also received attractive offers to play professional baseball, enter the boxing ring, or even to begin a career in the motion picture industry. The newspaper added, Professional football as a sport was not particularly appealing to Nevers, but the monetary return, in his opinion, was an opportunity not to be overlooked especially as it would aid him in paying his parents for their sacrifices they have made to put him through the university. It was reported that Nevers would receive a flat guarantee of $25,000 for the expected five games, as well as a 5% share of the gate receipts. If additional games were to be scheduled, Nevers could be paid $5,000 per game with a 10% cut of the gate revenue. It was announced on December 15, 1925, that once Nevers received the $25,000 guarantee, he would sign the contract for the Florida excursion. Lurking in the near future would be his opening game of the series on January 2, 1926, against none other than Red Grange and the Chicago Bears, a match made in heaven for local promoters in Jacksonville, Florida. For Nevers, The contract to play in Florida made perfect sense as he told the Associated Press. I was sent to the university to prepare for life. This offer will help me be find the same end. It will enable me to repay my parents immediately for the sacrifices they have made in sending me through school and college. After a slight delay in receiving the money, Nevers embarked on the cross-country train trip to Jacksonville where he was welcomed by a grizzled coach-slash-trainer in the form of 52-year-old Jerry Maguire, a former prize fighter. Maguire established a no-nonsense boot camp to ensure that the, quote, Jacksonville All-Stars, unquote, would be physically ready for the match with the Bears. Maguire's first mandate was that there would be no smoking and no drinking among the players. 
The Tampa Tribune reported on the reaction of the players to that mandate. The players were a bit inclined to make light of that order. This was not college football, they opined, and a little freeing and easy ways would be good for them. The pocket flask item was no trouble, but the cigarettes were quite different. The training was tough, beginning with a two-mile jog on the beach at 7 a.m., followed by a cold shower since McGuire did not allow warm water for his charges. A full day of drills would follow with lights out at 10 p.m. Apparently, training with Jerry Maguire was no day at the beach. The media buildup, as expected, emphasized the imminent collision between the two best backfield men from the previous college season in Grange and Nevers. Both players would be on the field for both offensive and defensive situations, a common practice in those days. Grange would spend a quarter or so on the bench to preserve his body as much as possible during the rigors of the two consecutive tours the Bears were enjoying, including a game the day before in Tampa, Florida, when the Bears defeated Jim Thorpe and the Tampa Cardinals 17-3. But first, Nevers had some more business to address. On January 2nd, the same day as the contest scheduled with the Bears, Nevers signed a professional baseball contract with the St. Louis Browns. The pitching prospect previously turned down offers from the New York Giants and the Cincinnati Reds. The Chicago Tribune noted, Ernie's big league contract will be framed to demand his withdrawal from professional football after carrying out his present contacts. A huge crowd was expected for the battle between Grange and Nevers in Jacksonville, and with Nevers signed to that inclusive baseball contract, which prohibited future action on the gridiron, it would be the first and likely the last time that the two highly regarded players would be facing off. Certainly, the Bears would have the advantage since most of the players had been together for an entire season, while the Jacksonville All-Stars had been patched together as a unit for just a few days. Yet, for some reason, the ball game was a dismal failure, at least for the promoters. A crowd of just 6,500 showed up for the contest, which was played in very pleasant weather. The Chicago Tribune reported, The Bears were a smooth, working football machine, while the All-Stars were a collection of stars imperfectly welded into a team by insufficient practice. As a result, the Bears won easily 19-6, and the organizers took that proverbial bath. The Fort Lauderdale News predicted that the promoters would lose about hmm, $12,500 on the day, but the paper added they expect to make it up later on games in which the All-Stars will participate. As expected, Red Grange was on the field for all of the first quarter, then rested for most of the second period and all of the third stanza. He returned in the final period and ended up rushing for 29 yards on just five carries. Meanwhile, Nevers was all over the field picking up 46 yards on 16 attempts and completing 8 of 16 passes, including one for 40 yards. In addition, Nevers punted six times for 320 yards, a lofty 54-yard average per boot. In the end, Nevers gave the fans what they came for, according to the Chicago Tribune. The real thrill of the game came in the last quarter. With the score 19-0 against him, never started a drive down the field and ripped off three first downs in a row and scored a touchdown just before the end of the game. 
After the game, the Bears and Grange moved on to New Orleans and then to the West Coast on their tour, while Nevers and the Jacksonville All-Stars entertained the New York Giants on January 9th. The Giants won the battle 7-0 before another light crowd, but Nevers was injured when he was thrown to the ground on one carry, resulting in ligament damage to his back. He was told to rest for at least a week, but by then, the immortal Jacksonville All-Stars disbanded on January 12th. There were rumors that Nevers would then join the touring New York Giants when he was healthy, but instead he returned home to California and waited for spring training with the St. Louis Browns. Nevers did make the major leagues in 1926 as a pitcher, finishing with a 2-4 record and an earned run average of 4.46. Then, in the fall, he joined the touring Duluth Eskimos of the NFL, which played an improbable 29 games that season, finishing with a 19-7-3 mark. He was rarely off the field, and some sources claim that he played all but 26 minutes out of a possible 1,740 minutes that year. Of course, his Hall of Fame career took off when he joined the Chicago Cardinals in 1929. On Thanksgiving Day of that season, he scored those 40 points against the Chicago Bears, which stands as the most points ever scored by an individual in an NFL game. From Stanford to Jacksonville to Duluth to the Chicago Cardinals, Ernie Never certainly made his mark on the National Football League, and a scoring record in 1929 still holds true as the best ever in the NFL after over 90 years. Thank you for joining us on the Sports History Network, and please stop by next time when we'll discuss some of the unusual part-time jobs that members of the Chicago Cardinals of the National Football League needed to make ends meet back in the days when football was football. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hi, I'm Oz Davis of the True the Goats podcast here at the Sports History Network. I'd like to take a minute to tell you about quite possibly the greatest website of all time, newspapers.com. If you're listening to this podcast or any of them at the Sports History Network, you're probably into sports history. And you probably also know that for learning about anything prior to, say, 1990 online, the typical search engines like are nearly completely useless. But then there's newspapers.com. Newspapers.com gives you access to over 640 million pages worth of news from North America, Britain, Ireland, and more, dating from 1798 to last week. Do up a search for Super Bowl I, the 36th Berlin Olympics, Wayne Gretzky's first game, whatever. Newspapers.com takes you there with historical flavor that search engines like just don't give you. And now, get a free one-week subscription to Newspapers.com by visiting sportshistorynetwork.com slash newspapers. With a paid subscription, you'll also be helping to support the production of this podcast and other Sports History Network shows. That's sportshistorynetwork.com slash newspapers. Newspapers.com. Way better for searches than you know what I'm talking about.
We at the Sports History Network are so glad to introduce to you a new addition to our lineup. Gridiron Greats Magazine Podcast is a weekly podcast that focuses on the history and memorabilia of North American football since its inception in 1869. It's hosted by Bob Swick, the publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and Joe Squires, a longtime contributor to that magazine. The podcast was launched in 2017 and has over 150 episodes that you can listen to now on a Sports History Network, as well as your favorite podcast provider. So join Bob and Joe as they go through football history, talking about the memorabilia and the great legendary players and games of the American Gridiron on the Gridiron Greats Magazine Podcast.